0: We'll read what scripture will have to teach us about that in Matthew chapter 19, and then Carl will present his message on it. When Jesus had finished saying these things, and these things are in the chapter before where um, it's all about forgiveness. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times when the question was asked, how often should you forgive? When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. Well then, they asked, did Moses command that a man Give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is a situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it's been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Thank you, Carl.
1: Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for the world that you've created, uh, the people that you've made us to be. Uh, And Lord, we we know that we live in a world broken by our own sin, uh, and Lord, that affects us in many ways. Uh, And as we come to think about one particular way in which our lives are marred by sin this morning, Lord, we pray for truth, but also for grace and mercy and for love. Uh, Help us to hear what you're saying to us, to receive your words, to believe them and to respond in faith and repentance uh, and obedience. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, this is a a difficult topic, I think. Uh, It's a difficult topic because divorce is painful. Uh, It's difficult because there are people whose marriages have broken down and it wasn't their fault and they now don't know what to do. Uh, It's difficult because there are people whose marriages have broken down and it was their fault... And they're living with the consequences of that. Uh, It's difficult because some people have divorced and then remarried uh, and maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. Uh, It's difficult because some people are the children of broken marriages uh, and they carry the scars of that and the pain of that with them for the rest of their lives. Uh, as I've prepared uh, for this morning, I've thought of, the same, uh, of so many of the people that I know whose marriages have broken down. Uh, of those people that I know who are divorced, uh, and I'm conscious, very conscious of those people—not uh, necessarily just in this church, but people in, in other churches that I know uh, whose, whose marriages have broken down—and. Uh, Some of them, I'm conscious of the fact, may be hurt by what I will say. Uh, And I have to confess that actually it makes me feel slightly ill to have to speak uh, on this topic. But unfortunately, I think it's such an important topic and such a prevalent issue that something needs to be said, uh, that we need to speak on it, Uh, and... So we can't avoid it. Let me say at the outset a few things. First, I suppose I'm not trying to reflect here primarily on the past. uh, But I'm trying to set a framework, hoping to think through a framework for how to live from this point on. How how should we deal with our marriages now? Uh, There are things that we've done in the past that we can't necessarily undo. And I'm not suggesting that we need to undo uh, all of the f- mistakes that we've made in the past. If you've remarried, I'm not suggesting uh, in any of what I say this morning uh, that, that you should undo that. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, there's forgiveness through Jesus for the things that all of us have done in the past. Uh, there can be ongoing consequences of our past sin. But there's also a sense in which the gospel enables us to start again, to start again from, from scratch. Uh, and if that's true uh, for all of us in, in many sins, I think that's true uh, particularly with respect to the issues of divorce and remarriage as well. Uh, by the same token, though, we shouldn't ignore the past There may be a place for confessing things that we've done in the past, for acknowledging those to God, for acknowledging those to other people and for seeking some kind of reconciliation. There are some things in the past that can't be undone but there are some things in the past that can be healed, that can be restored, that can be revived. Things like relationships which are broken down and which can be in some circumstances restored. So please understand, I guess I'm saying uh, now, that my great aim is not to hurt people who've been divorced, uh, or, or or to hurt people whose friends or family have been divorced, uh, and who've cast that at the foot of the cross. That's not the intention, rather the aim is to help us to see how God thinks about divorce and remarriage, in order that we can better seek to live for him uh, in our lives, and Seek to better live for him in those circumstances where our marriages uh, break down. Well, in Matthew 19, the Pharisees come to Jesus with a question about divorce. And in many ways, it's the question I think that, 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 that comes to our heads. In what circumstances uh, can, can a person be divorced? Or the, the Pharisees ask a much more blatant, a much uh, more blunt question, they ask in verse 3 Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? It's helpful, I think, uh, in coming to terms with their question to understand the background of what was going on in Jesus' day. At the time that Jesus lived, there were within Judaism uh, two large schools of thought on the cases in which divorce was justified. The first group believed that divorce was only uh, permitted in the case of unchastity or adultery, and the other group believed essentially that you could divorce for any and every reason. So you could divorce for something as small and insignificant as a badly cooked meal. And one later rabbi, uh, Rabbi Akibar, permitted divorce even in the case where a man found a prettier woman. So even among the religious people of Jesus' day, so this is not just kind of Greek and Roman society, but even among the religious people of Jesus' day, easy divorce was a viable option. And that was certainly true in the, in the Greek and the Roman world. So that in many ways, divorce was every bit as common in the first century uh, as it is in the 21st century. And it's in that context that the Pharisees come and begin to test Jesus. They want to know which side of the debate Jesus will uh, kind of side with. And Jesus' method of answering their question is is actually to, to sort of, initially at least, to ignore their question and to point back to uh God's original purpose for marriage. He goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 when he says in verse 4, "'Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate.'" Jesus' answer to the question of divorce is to say that God's purpose for marriage is that it should be lifelong. What God has joined together, don't separate. What are the grounds for divorce? That's the question. Jesus' answer is, don't do it. Is it lawful to divorce is the wrong question, says Jesus. The right question is, what did God intend for marriage? So, if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, uh, "How about you're wondering how you can get out of your marriage?" Then there's probably something deeply, deeply wrong. You might find uh, that the person that you've married is not the person that you thought that they were. Uh, Or you might find, actually, that the person that you married is no longer the person that they were, (laughs) that they've changed over 10 or 20 or 30 years. Uh, They might have put on weight. They might not be as attractive as uh, they were when you married them. You might discover after having lived with them day in and day out for the first six months of marriage, you've only been married for for a little while, but you might discover that actually uh, they're not as kind and as generous as you thought that they were. And in fact, they're actually quite selfish. And so are you. You might find that their untidiness or their obsession with being neat and tidy is really grating. It's so much easier, I think, to put up with those foibles when you're only dating someone because at the end of the day you get to go home and you can ignore it. But when you're married, you can't get away from it. All the other person's faults are staring you in the face when you go to bed at night and they're there when you wake up in the morning. can be very difficult to live with. But Jesus says that doesn't matter because the purpose of marriage is that it should be for life. The purpose of marriage is that you grow through those things to deeper love, to more patient love, to more generous heartedness. But other things can change in marriage as well, not just a person's personality. You might be married for only a few years when your spouse is critically injured. They might have a car accident or an accident at work. And you need to care for them for the rest of your life. You might think, well, that's not the marriage that I signed up for. But actually, that's exactly the marriage that you signed up for. You signed up for a marriage of lifelong commitment. The reality is, you just didn't know what shape that was going to take. A few years ago, uh, I had to do my first wedding, and, uh, and never having done that before, I, uh, I sought some help, and Andrew Corbett from Lagana Christian Church was kind enough to kind of step me through the kinds of things that he did in preparing for a wedding and preparing a couple for a marriage. And one of the last things that he does is to sit down with the couple and to go through the wedding vows really, really explicitly. So he'll sit them down and he'll say something like, for better or worse, what's the worst thing that you can think of? Are you willing to stick with this other person through that worst thing that you can imagine? For richer or poorer? Are you willing to stick with them through poverty and destitution? And what if that poverty is the result of their bad decisions? What if that poverty is the result of their recklessness? What if that poverty is the result of their addiction? Is that what you're signing up for? In sickness and in health? Well, you're willing to stick together when things are good, when when you're both healthy, but... What if one of you becomes chronically ill? What about then? Are you willing to carry that burden for 20, 30, 40, 50 years? Are you committed to this marriage till death do us part? Marriage is hard work, but that isn't grounds for divorce. Divorce. Of course, there's lots of good things about marriage. Uh, Marriage is a good gift from God, despite the sinfulness that we all bring into it. I'm not trying to denigrate marriage. Uh, I'm simply trying to highlight that there are genuine difficulties and that it's important to be honest and real about those difficulties before people sign up for marriage and in marriage so that we know what it is that God's calling us to persevere through. Uh, and to go through to the other side, uh, to work through to the other side. Uh, If you're in a difficult uh, marriage, uh, please work to stay together, because that's God's plan and purpose. That's Jesus' point. And if you need help to do that, then please ask for help. There's nothing to be ashamed of in that. Everybody's marriage uh, is difficult at one point or another. Uh, Everybody's life is difficult at one point or another. Uh, It's not embarrassing to ask people for help. Uh, if you need help, uh, you can talk to myself or to Steve or to the other elders and, and we can point you to people who can help you uh, sort through those difficulties. At another level, I think it's important to say, uh, not only if you're married, stay together, but it's important to say as well, because marriage is so permanent, be wise about who you marry. Don't enter into marriage hastily. Don't enter into it without asking other people for advice. Because you're entering a relationship that will last a lifetime. And although you might think you're really clever and really observant and be able to penetrate into the character of another person and be able to penetrate into your own character, actually other people can see things that we can't always see. And it's very wise to ask people for what they see in our relationship. So Jesus' view of divorce is quite simply, don't do it. But that raises then a difficult question, and the difficult question is the very one that the Pharisees ask next. That is, they ask in verse 7, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? That is, why if God doesn't want people to divorce, why did he then allow it? The Pharisees are referring back to Deuteronomy 24, and it's worth turning back to Deuteronomy 24 uh, to just have a look at that uh, to get a sense of what's going on. So Deuteronomy 24 verse 1 says... If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again, after she has been defiled, that would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So, although the uh, specific circumstance uh, being addressed in this passage is kind of very particular, the whole passage still kind of assumes, clearly assumes, the possibility of divorce. Jesus says that God allowed divorce because of hardness of heart. I don't think that means that God saw that some people were really determined uh, not to keep their marriages together. And so as a concession, God sort of said, well, uh, I suppose you can divorce. You know, that, you know, people were sort of, no, I don't want to keep marriages together. And God sort of said, well, look, that's okay, because you're hard-hearted, I'll just, I'll le- just let you do that. Uh, I don't think that's what's going on. Uh, I think it's because, I take it to be, that because of the sin committed by some people within their marriage, in some circumstances, it's permissible for the innocent party to end that marriage. So although God intended marriage to be a permanent and lifelong uh, relationship, sometimes marriage is not. Marriage was created before the fall And divorce is a concession to the reality of sin having entered our world. In fact, the language of hardness of heart, which Jesus uses to explain the reason that God allowed divorce, is the language that's used in the Old Testament to describe the people of God. It's used to describe uh, the people's response to God himself. And it's that hardness of heart, actually, in the Old Testament, which leads God to turn away from his own people. So perhaps one of the most startling observations that we can make about divorce is that the Bible also describes God as a divorcee. God's relationship with his people in the Old Testament is described as a marriage, but remarkably, that relationship ends in divorce. One of the few places where the language of hardness of heart is used in the Old Testament is in Jeremiah 4, and only a chapter before that, God speaks about issuing his own certificate of divorce and sending his people away. So flick uh, across to Jeremiah chapter 3, Jeremiah's after Isaiah, which is kind of after the Psalms, it's in the second half of the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 3, there God says in verse 6, During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not, and her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. So, because of Israel's unfaithfulness to him, God divorced her and sent her away into exile to that historic judgment where the people were cast out of the land that he promised to them. Uh, and there was a kind of a rupture. In their relationship, God divorced them. Divorce is, a, is, in some sense, God's judgment on the sin of his own people. That is, God uh, entered into a committed relationship with his people, but that relationship was frustrated by sin. Despite God's best intentions, despite God's faithfulness to the relationship that relationship ended with God sending his people away with a certificate of divorce. So too, some of us might enter into a committed relationship with a husband or wife. Uh, You might enter into that relationship in good faith, with every intention of that relationship lasting for a lifetime. But it may be that that relationship doesn't last You might do everything that you can to save it. You might work very hard and pray for long hours to make that marriage work. But it still fails. It still ends in divorce. Well, I think it's wonderfully encouraging to know that you're not alone. Not only are there other people who share in your Circumstances, But God himself shares in that circumstance of being in a relationship which has ended in divorce. I'm not suggesting that uh, because God can describe himself as being divorced, that therefore every divorce is okay. But if God can describe himself as being divorced, then there must be at least some situations in which although divorce is painful, it's not a sin. Although the ideal for marriage is that it be lifelong, there are circumstances in which that will not always be possible because of the hardness and sinfulness of people's hearts. So marriage was intended by God to be lifelong, but because of sin, in some situations it won't be. Nevertheless, although divorce is possible, it's still not optimal. Although God divorces his people in the Old Testament, divorce is not the final word. In Jeremiah 3, although God speaks about sending Israel away, although he speaks about divorcing them, he still goes on to call her back. Look at verse 12. Go proclaim this message toward the north. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favours to foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. I will choose you, one from a town and two from a clan. And bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. God calls his people to come back to him. In fact, he vows to do what Deuteronomy specifically prohibits. So look back at verse 1 of chapter 3. If a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? It's exactly the situation of Deuteronomy 24. Would not the land be completely defiled? That's what God said would happen. But you have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. Would you now return to me? And yet God calls them back. God does what the law specifically prohibited. Not because God is disregarding what he had said... But because God's determination for reconciliation is more powerful than the defilement of adultery and divorce. Because God can do what we can't do. He can undo the defilement of adultery and undo the defilement of divorce and undo the defilement of judgment. Even though it will cost him enormously to do that. God is so committed to reconciliation that he gave up his only son to redeem and to rescue us. Jesus gave himself up to redeem his own bride, his people, the church. You see, by nature, we're all divorcees. We're all all supposed to be in a relationship with God, but we've been cut off from that because of our hard-heartedness because our hearts aren't committed to God, because we lust after everything else but God. And yet God offers us reconciliation through Jesus. All of us are cast off from God because of our hardness of heart. All of us are in need of God's offer of reconciliation and forgiveness in Jesus. And in the same way, in our marriages, our love should reflect God's love. God's disposition is toward reconciliation and forgiveness and mercy. And if that's the case of God, then that ought to be the case of us as well. Our disposition should be toward forgiveness and reconciliation and mercy. Although divorce might be possible because of our hardness of heart, it's still not the ideal. We ought to work as hard as we can toward reconciliation where possible, uh, I know and you may know people whose marriages have weathered all kinds of storms. Uh, and when those marriages stay together through difficulties and through faithlessness, that's a testimony to the power of the gospel and it's a testimony to God's commitment uh, to our relationship with Him. Uh, I know people whose marriages have weathered bitterness. Uh, and unforgiveness. Uh, People whose marriages have weathered addiction. Addiction to alcohol uh, or pornography. People whose marriages have weathered even adultery. It's remarkable uh, to see those marriages continue to work by the grace of God. But please also notice... uh, that that kind of reconciliation is not automatic. It requires repentance. So look again at verse 12. God says, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am merciful. I will not be angry forever. But here's the condition. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favours of foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me. That is, reconciliation with God and reconciliation in general requires acknowledging our guilt and humbling ourselves before God. Without repentance, there can't be any reconciliation. And please notice that without repentance, God's divorce of us ends in our eternal judgment. In fact, I think this is where many people go wrong in trying to come to terms with uh, divorce in the Bible is that they look at God's commitment and faithfulness to his people in terms of his persevering relationship but actually there's an unspoken other side which is that unrepentant hard-heartedness ends in uh, divorce and judgment. I think in the same way that in a marriage, uh, even with a spirit of forgiveness and reconciliation, there may come a time when enough is enough. Uh, A time where, like God says to us as human beings, we have to say, you've trampled on my kindness for too long, you haven't turned away from sin, enough. Enough. It's important, I think, for us to realize that God's determination for reconciliation in the gospel is different to ours because God's marriage and God's love is redemptive and our love, our love isn't. That is, God can change us. God can change the hearts of people, but we can't do that. God promises in verse 17 that the people will no longer be stubborn, that they won't follow their stubborn hearts. But that's not a commitment that we can make. We can only work for reconciliation. In the end, we can't change people. Only God can do that. So marriage was intended by God to be lifelong, but because of sin, in some situations it won't be. Yet we ought to work for reconciliation as God has worked for reconciliation with us. That is, our marriages ought to show the gospel. But finally then... Are there grounds for legitimate divorce? And if so, what are they? Uh, In Deuteronomy 24, the first man divorces his wife because he finds literally something indecent in her. And the question in Jesus' day was, what was that? What's something indecent? The two schools of thought uh, had different views on that. So one school thought that something indecent meant adultery. The other People thought that something indecent was just a husband. He didn't, he didn't like something. Uh, he didn't like the meal that his wife cooked. Uh, she wasn't pretty enough anymore. Instead, Jesus says that there's only one thing that gives grounds for seeking a divorce, and that is sexual immorality. So uh, back in Matthew 19, verse 9, he says, I tell you uh, that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, commits adultery. Uh, Sorry, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The older NIV, so the the 1984 NIV, had the term marital unfaithfulness, uh, which I just read, which makes it sound like the motivation for divorce is any kind of unfaithfulness to the marriage, but the term which Jesus uses is quite specific and it relates specifically to sexual sin. Uh, the disciples immediately understand that Jesus is setting a very high bar for marriage, for the serious of marriage and the permanence of marriage, because they exclaim in verse 10, if this is a situation between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. That is, if marriage is so permanent, why would you get married at all? The disciples want the kind of easy divorce which we have in our own society that is when things don't turn out the way that they expected they can just leave but jesus insists that the only reason for seeking for seeking a divorce is sexual immorality that's because sexual immorality breaks a marriage in a way that no other sin does that is it replaces one one flesh relationship with another one flesh relationship. But what about other circumstances? Well, Paul addresses other circumstances and I think seeks to apply Jesus' commands about divorce to other circumstances in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He tries there to uh, apply Jesus' commands about divorce to the particular and unusual circumstances of the Corinthian church. So uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 7 if you've got your Bible open. There Paul says in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 7, to the married I give this command not I but the Lord a wife must not separate from her husband that's what Jesus said. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. There's a few things there uh, to, to pick up on. First, Paul says in verse 10, Christians shouldn't divorce. If for some reason the marriage becomes untenable, Paul seems to allow for the possibility of separation, but not remarriage. If the wife separates from her husband, she must remain unmarried. The only alternative, he says, is for her to reconcile with her husband. Uh, Second, according to verse 12, that's true even in the case where one spouse is a Christian and the other isn't. So the Christian partner shouldn't seek a divorce uh, and to divorce even on those grounds of a fundamentally different worldview uh, of of one being a Christian and one not, Uh, even to divorce on those grounds wouldn't be right. Uh, Why shouldn't they separate? Paul says because great good can come from uh, them staying together. Great good can come to the non-Christian partner through the Christian Uh, Third, however, according to verse 15, if the non-Christian spouse wants out of the marriage, then the Christian is not bound. And I think Paul means not bound to the marriage. That is, if the Christian wife or husband is left or divorced by their non-Christian spouse, then that Christian person is free to remarry. Uh, To summarise then, Paul essentially reiterates Jesus' command not to divorce... Except uh, in the case of adultery, Christians should never be the instigator of divorce. Uh, If there's irretrievable breakdown in the marriage, but not adultery, then there may be a place for separation, but not the entitlement to remarry. They should remain unmarried, or they should be reconciled. But if you are the innocent victim of divorce, then Paul says you are free to remarry. Of course, that's all well and good. But the problem is, I think, how that works out in practice. Uh, And even those permissions from Paul are not so clear-cut, I think. I I can't uh, cover every example, but I just want to give a few scenarios to try and help map out the way I think that we need to think about these issues. So scenario number one, a man leaves his wife but doesn't divorce her. She tries to reconcile with him and after a long time and after seeking help from others in the church, he still refuses to reconcile with her. In the end, she eventually files the paperwork for divorce. Is she entitled to remarry? I think she probably is. He deserted her. He remains unopened to reconciliation. She's worked for reconciliation. She's worked with the help of the church for reconciliation. I think according to 1 Corinthians 7, she's not bound. I should say that's in part because in, the, in New Testament times, to leave was effectively to divorce. So we live in the strange situation that they didn't live in. To leave was to divorce. We now have the situation where the, the, the paperwork for divorce has to be filed in order for that divorce to be, to be legalised. I think, according to 1 Corinthians 7, she is not bound to that marriage which he has opted out of. But then, the first husband comes to the church asking to be remarried. She lawfully divorced him and she is now remarried. Surely he's entitled to be remarried. And yet... He remains completely unrepentant about the breakdown of his first marriage. Is he entitled to be remarried? I don't think that he is. I think that's not abiding by the spirit of what Jesus is saying. Jesus says we ought to work for reconciliation and there ought to be repentance. And as long as he remains unrepentant I don't think there's an opportunity for him to remarry. Scenario number two. A wife has a one-night stand. She comes home and she tells her husband, what's he to do? A simple reading of Jesus' statements would suggest that he's entitled to divorce her. But is he? Maybe. Jesus' larger point is that God intends for marriages to stay together. He at least needs to work at reconciliation. That in undoubtedly will involve other people. If she is genuinely repentant, he should stay married. What if she is unrepentant? Well, he still isn't obliged to divorce her, but it may be that in the end, after many attempts at reconciliation, that he does. What about where the issue isn't adultery, though? What about in the case of domestic violence or the case of psychological or emotional abuse? Or what about in the case of drug addiction? Let me say, first of all, if you're in a violent or abusive or drug-affected relationship, I am not saying that you should stay and work it out. Uh, If you're being abused, the first thing you need to do is to seek help and security. The Bible seems to allow for that. For some kind of legitimate separation, but what about remarriage? Well, I've been thinking uh, over this again and again for a few years now. This issue keeps coming up and uh, I've done a lot of reading uh, and I've been staring at <laughs> books and uh, original languages and uh, listening to talks for years But it seems to me that what the Bible calls for in those situations is faithful waiting. I don't think the Bible allows, even in those situations, for remarriage. It allows for separation, but I'm not sure that it allows for remarriage. Of course, the question often becomes then, how can that be fair? How can it be fair to expect those people to remain unmarried? Why should they be condemned to a life of singleness? But what if God calls some of us to faithful waiting in the same way that he calls some people who would love to marry to a life of singleness? Why shouldn't that be God's prerogative? The same argument is made to support gay marriage. How can we expect same-sex attracted people not to marry? How can we expect them to live a lonely, unfulfilled life? But that's exactly what God is calling them to, in a sense. Not to an unfulfilled life or to a lonely life, but to an unmarried life. And who are we to begrudge God for the kind of faithfulness which he calls us to model in our lives? What if the thing which God is calling those people to model is the kind of faithful and hopeful patience which God shows with us? Patiently waiting for genuine repentance, a changed life, and the hope of reconciliation. As I said, I think the situations are hard, but I can't come on the basis of Scripture to any other uh, understanding. I think the reality is, though, that such serious uh, difficulties in marriage, such as danger and violence and abuse, are the exception and not the rule. Uh, And for the most part, the difficulties which people experience in marriage are of a much less sinister nature. And God calls us to work through those. Uh, He calls us to work through things like differences of opinion, lovelessness, lack of passion, frustrating and underwhelming sex lives. Your marriage vows commit you to working through those things. Uh, And the way that you honour God is by working through them. The purpose of marriage, Jesus says, is that it is lifelong. And yet sometimes it won't be because of sin. And in cases of adultery and desertion, it's possible for one partner to seek divorce and ultimately to remarry. But even in those cases where it's permissible, it's still not the ideal. God shows us that the ideal, the hope, is for reconciliation like the reconciliation that we've received through Jesus in the gospel. And when our marriages and our lives and the brokenness of our married lives show that hope of the gospel, we preach the gospel, we reveal the gospel, the hope of the gospel, to a world which is ravaged by broken marriages and broken lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, please forgive us for our hardness of heart. Forgive us for the hardness of heart which has caused you to cast us out of the close relationship which you created us to have when you made the world. You made us to live with you in fellowship and love and communion, and yet our hardness of heart has caused a rift in our relationship. You've sent us away. You've exiled us from the intimacy of relationship with you. And yet, Lord, in your great patience and perseverance and enormous love, you have sent your own son into the world to reconcile us to you, to call us back, return, faithless people. And Lord, we thank you that many of us here are the beneficiaries of that reconciliation and call to come back to you. Lord, thank you that we are no longer strangers and enemies, but you have reconciled us through the death of your one and only Son. And Lord, we pray that what you have done in our lives would be a template for the way that we deal with with the commitments that we make in our marriages. Lord, all our marriages and all our relationships are scarred by our hardness of heart. Lord, help those of us who are married to work through those things, to persevere through them, to grow to deeper love, deeper affection, deeper Patience. And Lord, for those who've tried to work through things but who have found themselves an innocent victim in divorce, Lord, let them know the consolation that you know the pain of that. Encourage their hearts. And Lord, for those who are in difficult marriages, those whose marriages are scarred by adultery uh, or by abuse uh, or by drug addiction or other addictions, give them wisdom, protect them and help us as a church community to help them to work through the difficulties of those situations. But Lord, we pray that even in those situations there might be repentance and forgiveness and genuine healing and reconciliation so that even in the most desperate of times our brokenness might mirror your faithfulness to us as you have persevered with us. Help us to persevere with others as well.